Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is the Hashkafa portion of Shabbat Shuvah Drasha this year, Tavshim Pei Gimel. And it's titled, Building on Mistakes to Build Ourselves, the Big Picture of Chuva. I want to begin with uh, a story, a beautiful story that I heard. Um, this was told by Rav Aaron Teisig. Rav Aaron Teisig is a mashgiach in Bnei Brak, and he's also a well-known mashgiach and a, a speaker uh, who, you know, in other words, he's a mashpia all over. And he relates a beautiful story which he says he heard from a Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim, as we know, was a Kayan, and as such, he did duchening. He, uh, he did Berches Kayhanim every yantiv, like every Kayan does. But the Chafetz Chaim would do something odd. After all the Kayhanim would finish and step down from the Aron Kaidish, the Chafetz Chaim would remain there a couple of extra minutes. So he was always wondering why his Rebbe did that, but he never had the nerve or the courage to approach him and ask him why he was doing that. But finally he did, and it was the turned out to be the final yantiv that the Chavetz Chaim actually did Nesiyas Kapayim. It was the Shavuos before he passed away, and the Chavetz Chaim passed away in, in Elul. So it was the final yantiv of his life. And after the Chavetz Chaim stepped down, this Talmud approached him and asked him, Rebbe, why is it that you, you do this? Why do you wait there a few extra minutes? So the Chavetz Chaim said that Hashem has given us, the Kehanim, the opportunity to give a bracha to Klal Yisrael, to give a bracha to his people, to bless his people. And it's impossible and it's forbidden to add to these blessings. You're not allowed to add to the bracha. It's, a, it's an Avera in the Torah. It's Baal Taisif. It happened to be the topic that we talked about on Shabbos as well. You're not allowed to add. You can't add an extra bracha. You can't add anything extra. You could just say the blessing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu devised, which is Yivarech HaShem, Yishmerecha. But the Chavetz Chaim says, my heart, I yearn to be able to say more brachas. I, I want to bless Klai Yisrael more and more. I don't want to just be, you know, be, suffice with these three. And I can't simply just tear myself away. I have to engage that feeling in my heart, that wish, that desire to be able to bless Klai Yisrael more and more. That was the kind of Avaz Yisrael that poured out of the heart of the Chavetz Chaim. And therefore... He said, it takes me a few minutes to step down from the Aron Kaidish. And this is such a, such a beautiful story of Avis Yisrael, and it is very appropriate for us to be a story about the Chavetz Chaim, whom, if you learn his Svarim, almost every line, the Avis Yisrael pours out of it. The, the, the love he had for all of Klal Yisrael, and that he wrote his Svarim just for that purpose, to be able to be Mizaka Klal Yisrael. But I think... There's an additional lesson that we can learn from this story, which is really a very important lesson and, and a very applicable lesson, and that is that the Chavetz Chaim didn't simply, it didn't just happen that he was overcome by Avis Yisrael at this moment. The reason was because the mitzvah of Berchus Kainim specifically was given to Kahanim so that they exercise their love of Klai Yisrael, and they actually say that in their bracha, HaMavarachas Ama Yisrael Ba'ahava. It's part of the mitzvah for them to bless Klai Yisrael with love. So the mitzvah inherently was given for the sake 
of, of bringing out that feeling of love of Klai Yisrael and to give the blessing with love of Klai Yisrael. So what the Chavetz Chaim was doing, he was merely utilizing the opportunity that the, mincha, the mitzvah presented because that's what the mitzvah was given for. And he just related to what the mitzvah was about and utilized that moment to truly get his heart fully engaged in what was a tremendous heart of Agadol Hadar that encompassed all of Klai Yisrael to be overflowing with his love of Klai Yisrael. And we're not the Chavetz Chaim, but I think that this is an opportunity that we should never let through, slip through our fingers, which means many mitzvahs have deep meaning and emotion connected to them, and the mitzvahs are meant to invoke those emotions, and they're meant to be us and to bring out in our heart these midas, these the character traits, or the amuno, or the betachin, or the concepts that we're, that we're trying to change about ourselves. Every mitzvah has its own inherent ability to do that, and every mitzvah has its own unique reason for it, and most of them are kind of obvious, and it doesn't take a lot of education to know why, what this mitzvah represents and what that mitzvah represents. We know that Shabbos represents Emuna and that Kaddish Baruch Hu created the world. We know that Pesach represents Emuna that Kaddish Baruch Hu uh, did Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We know this mitzvah of Tzedakah is that we should help other Jews and we shouldn't think money is all our own. We know what the mitzvah of Tzitzis re- represents. We say it in the parasha of Ayyemer. All the, t- the mitzvahs that we do have many obvious reasons and what, what the Chavetz Chaim here, this story, is teaching us is that when we do a mitzvah, we should utilize the moment to think about what this mitzvah means and what kind of hergish, what kind of feeling, what kind of emotion is it supposed to be building it within me and not let that opportunity slip through our fingers. And the mitzvah of Ahavetz Yisrael that the Chavetz Chaim was working on uh, we're not, even if we're not Kahanim, we have other opportunities. Every day in Shemana Esther, we say, We're davening for all of Klal Yisrael, that He should bless all of Klal Yisrael with peace. And that's a moment when we can allow some love of Klal Yisrael to penetrate our own heart. On every Monday and every Thursday, we say, We say those words. That is a letter that uh, Chaznish is writing someone and he's giving him rebuke. It doesn't say the name of who it is. Uh, it's obviously left out. But he's telling this person that, you know, I see that you don't have a strong enough feeling of, of sharing in other people's fa- pain and, and, and taking part of other people's suffering when, they, when it's difficult for them. And you need to work on that. And he says, one, one way is you can do actions and deeds to help other people. It'll affect your heart. You, you will feel more. And you should daven for them as well. And that also will affect your heart. And you'll start to feel more for them. So we have these opportunities to engage in what would truly be the mitzvah of Ahavas Yisrael, Ahav Lorecha the tremendous mitzvah of loving every single Jew. So this, I feel, just as an introduction, before we even start this drasha uh, to discuss how tshuva works, this is really something kind of easy. Everybody can find something. Everybody can find a mitzvah that they're doing anyway, a mitzvah they're doing regularly. And take a minute, try to figure out what is this mitzvah supposed to invoke, what kind of emotion is it supposed to bring out. Find one that talks to you, find one that talks to us, and we can utilize that whenever we do that mitzvah, to build that emotion, to make it stronger, to make it more powerful, and we can grow in that way. And that's an easy Kabbalah that everybody can make, and everybody should make. But today I want to talk about a secret, a secret of tshuva. 
Uh, it's not such a big secret. You probably know the secret, but it's a secret in terms of that we may know this, but we don't always think about it, and we don't recognize the power of this secret, how what it really means, and and how it should be affecting us. We see we would t- t- typically think that tshuva, like after Yom Kippur, what we accomplished is we wiped the slate clean, right? So we sinned throughout the year, we did the wrong things, we acted the wrong way, we didn't take opportunities when we had, we, did the, we took those opportunities for the wrong things, all the things that we wish we didn't do or wish we did do. And then it comes Yom Kippur and we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to forgive us and there's slicha and there's kapara and we hope what happens is HaKadosh Baruch Hu wipes the slate clean and we're back to where we started, right? We're back to as if the year is from the beginning again and it's all good, and it's as if nothing happened. Now, of course, a whole year passed, and we frittered away a lot of different opportunities, but okay, that's it, what is what is, right? Well, at least we're at, we have a fresh start. But that's a mistake. Tshuva doesn't put you back to where you started. No. Tshuva, if you do tshuva, it brings you to a whole new level that you wouldn't have accomplished otherwise. Tshuva doesn't just go back the, the needle to the middle, right, to the zero. Not at all. If a person does tshuva, he's become a whole new person. And that's the secret of building on mistakes. And it'll bring you to a place where you weren't before, and you actually would not have achieved otherwise. My Rosh Hashiva, Ravam Azban, Shlita, every year, even when I was in Shiva, 20, uh, 30 years ago, uh, he teaches all through Elul. And Saras uh, before Mariv, he teaches what's officially 15 minutes. He gives... Uh, Shari Tshuva, he teaches Rabbein Yaina Seferan Tshuva, Shari Tshuva. Now it's supposed to be 15 minutes, and it's supposed to start 15 minutes before Marav. It starts 5 minutes before Marav, and it goes for a half hour. He expounds, he gets into it, he gets carried away. So this year, he sent a letter to the alumni where he shared a thought of, that came to him while he was teaching Shari Tshuva. And it was truly a beautiful thought, and it's all about this point. So I want to share it with you. He's quoting a line in Rabbein Yaina, which he's trying to understand, where Rabbein Yaina is talking about the Mida of humility, the importance of humility when it comes to doing tshuva. And Rabbi says that if a person does tshuva, a person gets into tshuva, he will become great and exalted in his avaydas Hashem. And then you should have be humble and say, okay, you know, I don't. This is what I should be doing. I owe this to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and don't like expect big payback for what you've done. But what my Rosh Hashiva was wondering was. Why is that such a given that if a person does tshuva, it's a given that Yagdal v'yadr b'avodesham suddenly he will be achieve great and exalted things in avodesham? Why is that such a given? Why is that so muhrach? Why do we know that that's going to happen? So he explained, and he was building upon words of the Maharal and Chedusha Goddess, But what he explains was that the only time you appreciate something is if there's a problem. If there's a problem, if something's missing, if something was damaged, and then it got fixed, we, that's the only time we appreciate the solution and we value the fix and we understand what it is all about, what the value of this thing is. Like, uh, you, don't, you, you could enjoy food and food is, is great and gourmet food is even better, but if a person like Elena has no appetite, Pasha, no appetite, have you ever been sick and you have no appetite, you can look at the most delicious food and have absolutely no interest in eating it. And, and it'll, it'll taste horrible to you. If you don't desire something, if you don't feel it's missing, eat, as good as it is, we can't appreciate it. And he gave another example, which would be a classic example, which you expect the Rosh Hashiva to give. 
And his example was that he says, if you have a question that's bothering you, you're trying to understand something in Tyra, you're trying to understand something in Gemara, you have a question about a Tysus, about a Rashi, you, it's bothering you to no end. You feel you're missing something basic and you don't understand how you cannot understand this. And you're working on it, you work on it for an hour, for two hours, for three hours, until you finally figure out what's going on over here. And it's a Chiddush. And you recognize that you, this, through your difficulty, you came up with something novel. And you try to go share it with someone. And the other person you're trying to share it with did not have the question and doesn't really appreciate the question. Doesn't understand it, didn't bother him. He doesn't. So even if you tell him your Chiddush, he's not going to understand it as good as you present it, it just won't penetrate because he didn't have the question. If you want to appreciate the answer, you have to have the question. It's just the way it works. And that's the nature of all things in this world. If you work hard to earn money, then you have an appreciation for the value of money. If you're just given the money, the tendency is to squander it. Hashem created Adam Harishan. He needed a wife, but Hashem created him without the wife. And then he said, Adam Rishon came to realization, this is not good to be alone. That's when Hashem gave him the wife. He wouldn't have appreciated his wife otherwise. It's just the way it works. You have to recognize something is missing. And when you have the recognition, then you, only then can you value what you then achieved. So he explained, Rav Azban, that this is what Rabinian is telling us, that when a person sins, a person doesn't have vera, and he comes, goes far away from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and then he recognizes, I'm far away I'm distant, I'm detached, my life is losing meaning, and, and, and I'm so alone without a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and, and, and I have so little to live for without that. Suddenly you recognize what it means not to have a Kaddish Baruch Hu in your life. And we do tshuva, and we come back to Kaddish Baruch Hu, but when a person does tshuva, the mitzvahs and the kirvel Hashem, the closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we achieve, is not the same like it was before. It's a whole new level because now we understand what it is. Because we didn't have it, now when we have it, we appreciate it on a whole new level that we were not capable of appreciating earlier, even before we sinned. It's only when we lost it, and then we get it back, then we've gone to a whole new level. Yagdol Avodasav Yadira. His Avodas Hashem then comes to a whole new and exalted level. And that, Rashiv explained, is the concept of B'makam Shabbalat Shuva Aimdim Ein Tzadikim Gemur Michal Mlavet, where a tzadik uh, where at Baal Tshuva, uh, he can achieve, a Tzadik Amr can't achieve, simply because a Baal Tshuva has lost it, and therefore when he gets it, he appreciates it, and a Tzadik, without having lost it, will just simply not achieve that level of appreciation, and a level of appreciation is everything. It's, it's the whole growth of a person, is understanding his relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the depth, the greater depth of understanding is new, vast chasm of difference between that and before. So when we do tshuva, we don't just go back to where we started, not at all. We go to a whole new place, a whole new level, which we wouldn't have achieved otherwise. And this, this is the key of building upon mistakes. When we make a mistake, we build upon it. We don't just undo it. We get to a new level as a result of the mistake. Let me give you a, an anecdote I heard that was just demonstrates this point. Uh, this was I heard this from Rav Arya Roida. He's uh, the head of Project Inspire in Muncie, uh, and he was speaking a very short little speech, three minutes. And he said that it was a Friday afternoon and it was Rishchidish. So he sat down, he he washed and he had lunch, and then he benched. And being that it was Friday afternoon, it was very busy, so he went to sleep. So he went to go to went to lie down. As he's lying down, he realized. 
uh, I forgot to say Alviyabe. Now, on Rish Chaydish, you forget to say Alviyabe, you don't bench again. So he felt very bad that he was, he forgot Yalviyabe and he wasn't going to bench again. So lying there in bed, he said, you know, I'll say Yalviyabe in my head. So he started thinking about Yalviyabe and, and realizing he never really thought through the words, what they mean. And Yala, you're kind of commanding a Kaddish Baruch who raised my tree of Yahweh and bring it in before you. And he was thinking deeper and deeper into the words and they took on a whole new meaning to him. And now he says, every time he says Yalviyabe, he does not say it the way he said it before. It's, it's, he says it with intent, with kavana, with, with understanding, with depth. And he almost thanks Hashem for making him forget Yalaviyava that one time, because now he always says Yalaviyava in a different way. So his mistake caused him to build upon his mistake, and now he's in a whole new place. So that's the secret. That is the secret of tshuva. We don't go back to where we were. What we can achieve with tshuva is to bring us to a whole new level. Now, let's look at this from a practical standpoint. Humans have been making mistakes from the beginning of every version of uh, recorded history, right? So obviously the Torah begins with Adam Rishon basically a couple of hours after he's created making a mistake. Um, I was reading about the earliest form of writing that we have uh, that's been unearthed by archaeology, and that is a cuneiform tablet. And uh, they deciphered the cuneiform tablet, and it turns out it is uh, an accounting. It's an accountant keeping tab, a tab of a, of a, um, a stockroom of beer. That's what it is, and that's what they deciphered, and it's basically tallying up the different stocks of the different components of beer, and it's making a whole list, and it adds it up, and it comes to a conclusion, and then the, the accountant, uh, now being the oldest profession in the world, um, signs off on it, and his superior signs off on it as well, and guess what? He made a mistake. <laughs> he added it wrong. There, he, he missed a line in, in, uh, in his edition. So the earliest record of writing and of edition and of mathematics comes complete with a mistake. But the good news is that the majority of mankind's accomplishments is actually due to mistakes. Uh, mistakes happen and then people put their heads together to figure out ways to prevent them from happening again, right? Tragedies occur, issues arise, and we don't enjoy the outcomes of those things and the repercussions, so we attempt to find a solution. And, so this, and, and sometimes the solution makes things worse, and then we go back to the drawing board, and we modify, and we, we invent, and we, we, we come up with new things. And the majority of our technology is a result of things going wrong with the earlier technology, and it's tr we try to improve upon it and make things better. But in order for that to happen, Two things have to take place. First, we have to admit that a mistake was made. And number two is we have to accept the blame for that mistake, and then we can try to fix it. If we blame someone else, where nobody's going to fix anything. And this uh, same book makes the observation that the tendency is that in the medical profession, if a doctor makes a mistake, the profession will blame the doctor and say, you know, it's malpractice, and it was negligence, and it's criminal negligence, and it's his fault. So if a surgeon messes up, if a doctor does something wrong, if there's some kind of mistake that happened, the blame is put squarely on the head of the doctor. And as a result, uh, it's difficult for change to happen, whereas this, the observation continued that in the engineering profession, it doesn't tend to work that way. If a airline, uh, if an airplane crashes uh, due to the engineer um, screwing the bolts on wrong, as yeah, an actual case like that, instead of the whole industry and the whole world blaming that hapless engineer who made a stupid mistake, they would say, how could we design an airplane that can be at risk of a simple human error? That's bad design. So they changed the system so that that shouldn't happen. 
and they redesign the system to prevent human error from being possible. And as a result, the whole system gets better, and they tend to redesign it so that other errors also don't happen. So it takes admitting there was a mistake and taking the blame for the mistake so that progress can then be achieved. And that, that's why we say Vidui. That's what Vidui is all about. The process of Vidui is admitting and recounting the sins that are all mentioned there on Yom Kippur. And, and it takes up, if you'll notice, a large part of Yom Kippur. We say Vidui, if you're in Shul, you say it ten times. You're saying it a lot of times. You're going through Achet, Achet, Achet. And we say all kinds of Averis. Uh, some we did, some we don't think we did. And, and we just keep on going through it again and again. What, what is going on over here? And if you look and you learn what the go- is going on in the Seder Avayda, you'll see that the holiest moment of the year is at the moment when the Kayan Gadol was saying Vidu, because that was the moment when he said Hashem's name. And all of and they fell on their faces when they heard him saying Hashem's name while he was saying Vidu. And what happened at that moment? All of Klai Yisrael were assembled, witnessed an open miracle. That didn't happen since Har Sinai, but that's what happened. Everybody in Klai Yisrael who was there witnessed an open miracle. They were standing tzfufim, the, they were crowded, the Tesefta the, 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 the says they were so crowded you could not stick your finger between them. That's how crowded they were. They were like a Rebbe's Tish times ten. And, and then, then he said Hashem's name, they bowed down, and all of a sudden there was room. I'm sure nobody wanted to get up. There was room. It was an open miracle that they all witnessed. Because it was the moment of Vidu, it's the holiest moment of Yom Kippur, and there's no question Chazal wants us to do it ten times because it's a moment we want to replay again and again and again. It's the moment that we're the closest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that closeness is because we admit. We say, You are right, and we are wrong, and we accept blame. It wasn't worth it for us. You are right, and we are wrong. Anything you do to us, we are deserving of it. We accept the blame, we accept responsibility for our actions. That is what Vidu is all about. And that's why we say it so many times, with the hope that one of the times, or for at least one of the Chetayim, will actually, it'll hit us in the heart, and we'll say, you know what? This is my fault. It's not Chaim, it's not Mordechai, it's not Yankel, it's not Shmerel, it's not Tzara, it's not Rivka, it's not Rachel. It's me. It's my fault. I did it. I have to take blame. I have to own this. And I have to take responsibility. And when that happens, then humans change. They do. They always do. When they recognize a mistake, and when they admit the mistake, and they take responsibility, they inevitably change. So that's why it's the holiest moment, because that, once that happens, the rest is inevitable. And we achieve then the highest level, the whole new level that we've now achieved through tshuva. We've jumped up to a tremendous achievement. <clears throat> the key statement of Vidu is that, you are the right one, and we're the one in the wrong. Not shifting blame and taking responsibility, it's not the easiest thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. Um, I just saw this story about Rav Asher Freund, Zatzal. Um, Rav Asher Freund, he was known as Rav Usher. So he was uh, a tremendous tzaddik, and uh, he was basically an unofficial rebbe. He himself was a, a Karolina Chassid, but he was an unofficial rebbe. People would line up for hours to speak to him. Uh, he lived in Yerushalayim, and, and uh, he had Talmidim, and he had Chassidim, and he was, he was, he was as, for all intents and purposes, a rebbe. But he also was a tremendous Baal Tzedakah and a Baal Chesed, and he himself, in the 60s, established Yad Ezra, which is a tremendous tzedakah organization in Eretz Yisrael, and he ran it. So the story went that he was nifted in 2003, but the story was that he, um, 
he had ordered a large shipment of chicken to uh, distribute to poor people. And the, a shipment arrived, but he didn't have the money to pay for it, so he borrowed the money off his own account, and it was with the hope they would fundraise for it, but a lot of, large amount of money, and he laid it out. So there was a bunch of volunteers, the shipment came, they broke down the shipment, they put it into freezers that were there for that purpose. One problem, the guy in charge forgot to plug in the freezers. And it was very hot. And within a few hours, the smell started to penetrate all the other rooms, and they saw it was all a loss. Everything had to be thrown away. Ravusha heard about this, and he asked one of his Talmudim, who used to drive him, he says, can you drive me to this little forest, it's right next to Harnof, I think, uh, drive me there. So he drove him there, he said, park here, wait here in the car, and he went out and walked into the forest. So the Talmud, understandably, he was curious. So after a minute or two, he snuck after him. And he hears Rav Usher in a quiet place in the forest, is yelling, and he's yelling, Das is nicht er, das is du. This, that's not him. This was you. And he's yelling this again and again and again. It's not him. It's not the guy who forgot to plug in the freezer. This was you. You did this. So the Talmud was shaken up, and then quickly he left. He didn't want Ravusha to chap that he was there. And Ravusha comes back to the car. And Ravusha says, oh, you know, I forgot something. He goes back to so Talmud right away, follows him. And he hears him again. He's yelling, This is not not him. Thank you for it. And that again, he yelled again and again. And uh, what Ravusha was doing was saying, it's not him. He's not the one to blame. You did it. And you did it for my sake. I needed this. I'm taking the blame for this. I'm taking the responsibility for this. I clearly needed to grow from this. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Not an easy thing. And this person was a tzaddik nisgov. You have to see the stories they say about him. He was a balrocha kodesh. He was an unusual tzaddik. And this is not easy for anybody. And we have a lot of forests out here. <laughs> we can all take our advantage of our forests. It's not in Israel. We have plenty of access to forests. And sometimes there is this person who's totally negligent, criminal negligence. And even then, it's not him. It's us. It's Hashem. He wants to talking to us. And, and we're the ones who have something to learn. And that is the key of Vidu. The key of Vidu is to just take that responsibility and to admit it. And when we do that, all the avenues of change are open to us. So let's crank this up to the next level. I'm presenting a thought experiment. And I've asked a number of people this question. Can you think about yourselves? And think of an instance where you made an error, you did something wrong, and you recognized you did something wrong, you corrected it, and you built upon it so that you're a better person because you made that mistake, figured it out, and corrected it. Think about that. Can you think of an instance in your own life where that happened? You made a mistake, you corrected it, and became a better person. I'll give you a little time to think about it. I've asked other people this question, and I tend to get a blank stare, <laughs> until I give an example. And then people realize, you know what, I've had it, I do have I have had this in my life multiple times. So this is an example. Unless your name is Reb Shalem Zalman Arbach, the likelihood is you've probably hurt someone's feelings in your life. <laughs> you've probably said something insensitive. You've probably done something insensitive. You've probably forgot about someone when you were not supposed to. You probably, you probably did something that hurts that, that hurt someone else. And I'm not talking about when you're a little kid. I'm talking about when you were a well 
developed, mature adult who was very capable of knowing what was done wrong, you most likely, that happened. And, hopefully, when you came to recognize that you hurt someone else, you apologized and then felt very bad about it because we don't like to hurt other people and recognized what it is that we have to change about our habit or our behavior so that it doesn't happen again. Uh, we became more sensitive. We became more conscious. We now knew it's, if it's our own spouse, we understood our spouse better. So we understood what it is what, that will insult our spouse and, and what our, our spouse cares about. That is building upon mistakes. We've become a better person. We will now not do that again. And we, will be, we have become more sensitive as a whole. And you may think, think okay, okay, true, true, we're built on power, but big deal, you know, like, why is that such a big deal? It's a very big deal. The Gemara Ksubis says that there was an Amira who was meant to come home, Arab Yom Kippur, for the Sudam of Sekhes, and he hadn't been home in a very long time. Gemara explains that was common practice at the time. And his wife was waiting for him, and it was time to come home, and he got engrossed to learning. And the time passed, and his wife realized he's not coming. And one tear rolled from her eye, and he died. And it's a very, very scary Gemara, and the Bali Moser talk about it, that, that Ben Adam Lachaver is like a fire, you can't stick your hand in that fire, and, you know, even though we normally wouldn't say Baruch Hashem, we're not on his level, but I would say Baruch Hashem, we're not on his level, so we have a longer life expectancy. But the point is, is that Ben Adam Lachaver is an improvement, is a matter of life and death, it really is. Becoming better in Ben Adam Lachaver, even that little bit, one instance less of insulting someone else, more sensitivity, is a life and death difference. And in terms of Chaim, what's real life, what we spoke about this on Rosh Hashanah, real Chaim, when we're talking about Laman Chalakim Chaim, it's more of that life. So it's a very big deal. But the truth is, you think about it, the longer you're married, certainly, but in life in general, you will have made many such improvements. You probably are doing certain these kind of improvements, not just in the area of sensitivity, but in all kinds of areas on a regular basis. And sometimes you think, you know, I, I think that if we would have a good scientific way to do this, um, we don't have, but if we would have a good way to do this, we could compare a before and after picture, like, you know, the way they have people when they get onto a diet, so they have, they lost 100 pounds, and you see the before and after, you say, oh my gosh, you can't even be the same person. So if we would be able to do that, um, and if we would have a way to compare our prior self to our, our, our self after we've improved upon ourself, I think we would be unrecognizable. And the Yetzirah, this is a brilliant little piece of work he does, that he hides this from us. He really, really does. And it's so important for us to think about this, because we think we're never successful with Jupiter. We think, oh, every year I say the same Alchet, same Vidu, I'm not changing, I'm nothing is changing, I'm not getting better. And it's wrong. We do. We do constantly improve. We have plenty to do, and we have plenty to improve. But recognize, we build upon our mistakes, because if we admit them, if we recognize them, if we take the blame for them, then we do, we actually do change. And that's the key. And that's what Vida is all about. The Mishnah in Shabbos talks about Parasa Shal Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah had a cow. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah had a cow. And it talks about that it did something wrong. It walked, it, 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 cows also can't carry certain things. Had this kind of ornamental rope, and it was carrying. So he was given rebuke as a result. The Gemara says, Rebellion of Azariah had one para, he only had one cow. He had 120,000 cows. He was extraordinarily wealthy. He gave Meister Behemoth 12,000 cows. So the Gemara says, nah, 
this wasn't even his cow. It was his neighbor's cow. She was making a mistake. She did the Savera. And he didn't protest. He didn't teach her. And as a result, it was considered like his cow. And he was given the blame and he was rebuked. So this villa rabbi of Shlomke's villa asks, he says, okay, I mean, for Lanatzach and Sachem, now forever and ever we're going to be giving rebuke to Blazab and Azariah because of this mistake he made. So he says, you know, you know you're misunderstanding. He says, Yerushalmi says that Blazab and Azariah did so much tshuva for this, this one little sin, he did so much tshuva that his, his teeth became black from fasting. So he said, Blazab and Azariah did tshuva me'ahava. So he said, you know what the mission is teaching us? No, they're not teaching, they're not rebuking Blazab and Azariah. On the contrary, the Mishnah is saying, this is Parashash Rablazab and Azariah. The other 120,000, what's left of them? They're long dead and eaten. They're gone. This para, which wasn't even his para, was his what neighbors but no, but this became Parashash Rablazab and Azariah. This is the only cow he has forever and ever through tshuva. It became his cow, and now that's something he has forever. That is building upon mistakes. So there are three ways we can build upon our mistakes. The first way is we can learn to modify our behavior, our situation, so that we don't make that mistake anymore. Now this is a great way, and this is very much the example I was giving in engineering, that you re-engineer the product or the situation so that the mistake can't happen. And if you're familiar, you know, there's Murphy's Law, right? If anything can go wrong, it could go wrong. So legend has it, it was begun from a certain Captain Murphy. This is actually a true story who they were carrying out an experiment and some other engineer did something wrong and basically they understood that if something can be plugged in wrong, it will be plugged in wrong. So they designed it that it can't be done wrong because otherwise it will go wrong. And if you're familiar, you know, there's the plugs used to have one side larger than the other so that you can only plug it in one way. It's the same concept. So you design something in a way that you can't make a mistake. And that's a very applicable way to approach tshuva as well. I remember one Rebbe of mine was telling us, and I don't remember if he told us about himself or he told us about someone else, but he meant himself. But anyway, this Rebbe would wake up very early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, to come to commute to Yeshiva Riverdale, and it was about an hour commute. And then he would only get back late at night, six or so, after another hour commute. He was, he was beyond exhausted when he got home, but he knew he's coming home to his wife, a house full of kids, she's been working hard all day, she needs his, him to be patient and to be empathetic and sympathetic and to be there for her. So he would told us he would park his car, he would sometimes make sure he had a Danish, he would eat a Danish and he would drink a soda, or he would lie down, rest a few minutes before he went in, just so he could have the patience and the energy to be able to be a husband. And that is a simple modification, a small modification, with a huge result. He turned into a Ma'al Hashem, he comes in after such a long and tiring day and he has patience and he, had, and he did. He really was, he was an amazing person. And it's a small modification and it can make a big difference. And these are these kind of modifications we can think about, how we can change things in our lives that will just make things so much easier. Now, this is not always a practical solution. We don't always have those options. These uh, uh, modifications are not always available to us. Maybe we're on a diet, whatever. We don't, can't always do this. However, that brings us to the next method of building upon our, our mistakes, and that's also the kind that we experience more on a regular basis, what I was talking about, which is when we 
recognize that we don't want to be that kind of person, the kind of person that's making that mistake insensitive. We don't want to be an insensitive person. We don't want to be an angry person. We don't want to be an irritated person or whatever it is that it is that we would not like to be. So we regret it more enough and we just see that person and we say, you know, being that person makes me unhappy and being the other kind of person makes me happy. That recognition, that understanding of self will cause us to inevitably change. Uh, I remember years and years ago I was in Eretz Yisrael, right when I came to Eretz Yisrael as a Bachram. So I came from a yeshiva with a dorm where you had your bed assigned to you, you had food every day, you had your play, your seat by davening assigned to you, everything was taken care of and you had to dinner, think about it. And all of a sudden you go to Eretz Yisrael, it's a strange country, a strange culture, people seem very unfriendly, <laughs> just the way it seems, you know, and you get jostled about and then you had to fend for yourself, find your own apartment, you had to get your own meals, my yeshiva didn't serve meals at the time, you had to navigate a new country, it was just a lot to take in at the same time with a whole new yeshiva and new people and everything. So I found myself complaining a lot. Now, my friends who had been there a little longer, they noticed this and they were, one of them was actually nice about it instead of telling me, you know, just stop complaining already. He said like this, he said, you know, I saw in a safer that it's, it's not so posh that you can complain about Eretz Yisrael. It might be akin to the sin of the Miraglim that they said Lashon Haru about Eretz Yisrael, complaining about Eretz Yisrael is, is, is you just not, it's not simple you can do that. So, yeah, he was being nice. And I realized right away, you know, I'm not a person that complains and I don't want to be viewed as a person who's complaining all the time. And that self-recognition was all I needed. And I, I stopped and I stopped and that was it. And, and obviously it changed my outlook and I started enjoying it and I started, it changed my whole, the rest of my year. And it, it was, all I needed was to just stop, recognize who I was being, what I was being like, looking in the mirror, recognizing I don't want to be that person. And that was enough to make that change. And that is very often this next or method of achieving, building upon mistakes, is recognizing what kind of person you really want to be and really not wanting to be the other kind of person. And the change will happen. It'll be inevitable. And we'll become so much a better person as a result. Sometimes both these approaches are not enough. And a lot of times that's when it's something that you've been struggling with a long time. Right, so something that every year this is the kind of thing we come to Alchet and we say, okay, yeah, I know. Last year I said I was going to stop doing it, and I did it. And the year before that, I thought I was going to stop, and I'm still doing it. And it's just something we struggle with on an ongoing basis, and we have a lot of such struggles, some bigger, some smaller, but it's it's just the nature of life. Um, and then those, it's not so easy to say I want to be this person, I want to be that person. This is something we've been struggling with for a long time, and yet we have to keep on trying, and we certainly have to keep on trying. And that's what Hashem wants from us. And and here I want to just introduce a third method of building upon a mistake, which is sometimes the right thing to do is actually not to attack it directly. And maybe, maybe we've seen, we've tried again and again to attack it directly and it's just not working. And the right thing is actually to focus on something that we're good at, something that we have strength in, something that we're successful at, something that we do find it lends, we lend ourselves better to it, and getting better at that will inevitably change the other thing as well. Let me illustrate this with a story just to understand what we're talking about. There, there was a, this was seen by an, an, on, an onlooker. Um, it was in a Hassan hall and a, a, uh, a Rosh Hashiva, someone who's clearly a Rosh Hashiva, walked in to say Mazel Tov. And as Rosh Hashiva walked in, another person ran over to him, tapped him and said, Oh, Rabbi, do you recognize me? So the Rosh Hashiva turns around, looks at him for a minute and says, yeah, of course, Maisha Yakir, I recognize you. Uh, you were in Yeshiva, you left about 10 years ago. You... Um, 
you, you room number 14, right? And you learn Bechavrusa with Binyamin, and he said like a whole bunch of details. He clearly remembered him very well, and you could see this Moshe's face lit up that Rashiva remembered him. So he tells the Rosh Yeshiva Rebbe, you know, this is really all your credit, but I left Yeshiva, I got to a good Yeshiva, and I was very, very successful there. And then I got married, I got a good Shaduch, and now I just got accepted to a, a Kail of Mitzuyanim. And you won't believe it, this Kail, we learn 70 blad a month of Gemara. And I've been testing, uh, getting myself tested on it, and my mark, you're not going to believe this, it's an average of 95. And Rashiva's eyes light up, and he says, Maisha, I always knew you're a little guy, in, and now you're growing in to be a big guy, in, Baruch Hashem. And the, this Maisha's eyes filled with tears, and he said, Rebbe, it's all your credit. I would not have been anywhere without you. And the Rosh Hashiva says, you know, come on, don't exaggerate. It's not, uh, I'm happy to have something to do with it, but, you know, you always had this in you. You always had this potential, and I'm so happy that you're, it's coming to a fruition. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless you with continued Ratzlacha and continued Shtaking, and they, they parted. Now, this person who was looking, who watched this, he understood something's going on here. So he goes over to Maisha, and he says, Maisha, could you, would you be... Would you be willing to share me? I see there's a story here. Could you, you, would you be willing to share with me? So Maisha, who is quite emotional, says, you know, let me tell you, I was in this Rosh Hashiva's yeshiva, was what's known in, in Eretz Yeshiva Kitana, which is kind of a meld of middle school and beginning of high school. And I was an extraordinarily weak student. You will not believe how weak I was. I was so weak, it was embarrassing. My average, for a holes man, was 35. My chaverim were getting above 90 average. My average was a 35. That's how weak I was. I was trying very hard, but I was having no success. And every test I took was a tremendous source of pain for me. And I was just giving up. And then this Rosh Hashiva, who was Rosh Hashiva, took notice and took note that I was working hard. And every test he would look over. And on every test he would write something. He would write... HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't count the blat, he counts the hours, Lufum Tzayra Agra, he would write, every step is a step in the right direction, I see how much effort you've put into it, Sh'ashakayach on your effort, this is, the way you answered this question was perfect, he would write something encouraging. And every test now, instead of a source of pain, I would look forward to it, to get that encouragement from my Rosh Hashiva, and he would call me in, and we would have long talks. And eventually, I was getting close to graduating from this Yeshiva Kitana, and he called me in, and he told me, listen, you work very, very hard. But I see that even learning in depth, it just doesn't, it's not working for you. And I think that's not where you should be putting your kachas. You shouldn't be putting your energy into be'ilun. Rather, put your energy into learning quickly, covering ground, mem- remembering huge quantities of, of, of subject matter. Learn, you know, that, that's what you should do, which is not so popular in yeshivas. It's more popular to be, you know, spend more time in delving in depth. But I think this is where you should be putting your energy, and I think you'll do amazing. And he said, Maisha said, I didn't believe him. I was still getting this 35 average, right? This is, I'm, I'm stupid, right? I can't, I can't do anything. So he said, eventually he graduated the yeshiva, he got accepted into a good yeshiva, and he decided, new start, fresh start, I'm going to listen to the rest of yeshiva, I'm going to put my energy into because even though you know, I know people are going to look at me, I'm going to do it anyway. He goes ahead and he does it, and he sees tremendous, tremendous haslacha, tremendous success. So much so that he, over a few years of being there, he has now successfully completed a, a huge portion of Shas. And he became knowledgeable in a huge portion of Shas. He got married. He entered this Kailal, learned 70 blah a month, and he says, I'm, I'm on the way to memorizing, committing to memory all of Shas. And I'm getting a 95 average on my tests from 35. And it's all because of this Rosh Hashiva. 
So this is a very powerful story, and to me, you know, actually, if we forget everything I said, and just take from this whole shir, that what, how important it is to give positive encouragement to people. And I will say, <laughs> after hearing this story, I um, called my Rosh Hashiva and thanked him for sending that uh, letter <laughs> of, uh, of the Dvar Torah that I was able to share with you today. Um, it's, it's giving positive encouragement to anybody and everybody. It's one of the main ways we are Mekayim, the midst of a half l'reach And that, that's just very powerful and very important. But that aside, I was thinking, you know, this Rebbe, that's a Kaddish Baruch a Rebbe does represent a Kaddish Baruch in our lives. He teaches us, he guides us. And we're like that Talmud. And we come up to Shemaim and we say, you know, Hashem, you know, we're waiting for getting the scolding, right? We know, we know, you know I know, I tried, I failed, I got a 35. And Hashem looks at us and says, 35, that's great. <laughs> that's not even what you're supposed to be working on. Be'iyan, why are you putting energy in Be'iyan? What you're supposed to be working on is, is the key. Is that's where your kaychas are. That's where you. That's where I gave you the strength. This test is just a test. That's all it is. Is so to see: Are you going to give up hope? Are you going to stop trying? Are you going to lose faith in me? Are you going to lose faith in yourself? And if that's what where you succeed, and that's what you succeed in, then you've actually gotten a ninety-five. So a lot of the times, we approach our our struggles year to year, and we think we're failing. And then the truth is. We may be missing the boat. <laughs> it's, that is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And by not giving up and by continuing and by focusing on what we're good at and what we see Hashem does give us a, give us a tzlach in is precisely where we will be successful. And if we are successful, ultimately, we will be successful in our whole life and the Nisayan will be removed. And this is so relevant because there's so many times we find ourselves stuck in certain things that we can't seem to get out. We may be stuck in dealing with a person that brings out the worst in us, and, or, or we may be stuck with a situation where, you know, we, we don't seem to have the energy to daven or the energy to learn, and it's, the question is, is that a failure, or is that what we're actually supposed to be accomplishing? And the key is just don't give up. And then Hashem says, then you've gotten a 95. That's the test. That was the test. So, may HaKadosh Baruch Hu be us all, to inspire all of us <clears throat> to take this all to heart and starting with the first point we've made here that first thing we can do is like the Chavetz Chaim, definitely find a mitzvah that we know the idea of the mitzvah, we know what it's supposed to, how it's supposed to inspire us, this is an easy cabal to make, everybody should make it, find a mitzvah and commit to thinking about it when we do it so that we can admire ourselves, inspire ourselves. Then the second thing is that we should realize that tshuva doesn't just bring us back to start. Tshuva puts us into a whole new level. We become greater, better, more, much more improved people. But the key is to admit it. To admit we've made a mistake and take responsibility, take the blame. Put it solely and squarely on our own heart. We have made this mistake. We are responsible for it. And then change is inevitable. It's inexorable. And third of all, we have to be able to see how we have been doing that. We have been building upon our mistakes. And we've been successful and we've changed a tremendous amount as a result. And we can do tshuva and we do do tshuva on a regular basis. And finally and most importantly, we have to give thought how we're going to change, how we're going to build up on our mistakes. First, try to modify the environment, make changes so that we don't come to these errors. Number two, think about what kind of person we really want to be. And the person that, that makes those mistakes is what we don't want to be. And that'll cause us and, and help us change 
inevitably. And lastly, sometimes when we see this struggle is ongoing and ongoing, ongoing, realize that may be exactly what the mark you're going to get is what you're supposed to be achieving. Just don't lose hope, don't lose faith, keep on trying, and aim to do the things you're good at. Aim to put your strength in where you are, are powerful, where you are. You have a lot of siyat and ultimately Hashem will help us then build and build ourselves to a whole new level. And may Hashem answer our tefillah, Hashivenu Hashem Elecha Shuva, we should be zeichet to tshuva shleima, we should be zeichet to a full slicha and kapara, and may Hashem bring the gula shleima of meher v'yameinu, amen.